Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Good evening everyone. It's chapter 7 in some ways felt like the Comrades Marathon, but uh I believe God in his providence had allowed us to pace through that section of 1 Corinthians concerning the unmarried, the married and the widows. But tonight Paul changes gears and he now addresses another issue that was brought to his attention by the church at Corinth and that issue is surrounding idol sacrifices. Now by way of introduction the the church at large the universal church churches everywhere churches in South Africa America and around the world has over the years seen many debates that have really shaken the church some of these debates have brought great harm to some believers and some of these debates have just brought about great confusion confusion to Christians at large and even great confusion to babes in Christ For example, is it okay for Christians to consume alcohol? Is it okay for Christians to go to concerts? Is it okay for Christians to go to the cinema? Can we listen to circular music, my piano? Should ladies should wear should ladies wear makeup? Should ladies wear stilettos? Should ladies wear a bikini to the beach? Should gents wear speedos to the beach? <laughs> See, many of these issues that that don't have a thou shalt not verse attached to it has for many years caused a storm in the evangelical world where churches were asking themselves how can they respond when faced with such issues? Well tonight I hope we will see and come up with a few biblical principles. Now if you read on the top of your bible you'll notice in chapter 8 it says food offered to idols. You'll immediately notice that our passage says nothing about speedos. It says nothing about stilettos or alcohol. But I do believe it will help us come up with biblical principles that will help us use our rights or our freedoms in Christ to the glory of God. So the question tonight is are your rights worth fighting for? Are your rights or your freedoms in Christ worth fighting for? So I hope you're ready there. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. and we start our reading from verse 1 it reads now concerning food offered to idols we know that all of us possess knowledge this knowledge puffs up but love builds up if anyone imagine that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know but if he if anyone loves god he is known by god verse 4 therefore as to eating of food offered to idols we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no god but one 
For although they are, they may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there may be many gods and many idols, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do in verse 9, but take care. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And Lord, as we approach the preaching of your word, my God, I do pray that our hearts be softened. I do pray that your spirit would minister among us and I pray that your spirit would speak through me. God, I understand that it is not my words or my giftings that, Lord, bring about life change. Lord, it's only the application of your word and walking in the spirit that lives are truly transformed. So God, I pray that tonight your spirit would be at work in our midst. I pray, Father, if there are those in our midst who are struggling with this topic of food offered to idols, that, Lord, you'd open up their eyes to the truths of your word. But, God, I also pray that if there are those who are puffed up among us tonight, that, Lord, you would humble them. Humble them, Lord, by the use of your spirit and by the use of, of your word. And, Lord, to really search their hearts and see if by their actions they've been building up or, Lord, they've been just proving that, Lord, they have just been puffed up. God, I pray that you bless our fellowship, bless the reading of your word, and bless the preaching of it to your glory alone, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I'd like us to consider tonight is from verse 1, the issue. Verse 1 says, now concerning, Paul says, idol sacrifices. For the next few chapters, namely chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, Paul will, like I've already said, like in a Q&A session, address issues surrounding idols and idol sacrifices. Corinth, as you should know by now, was a, a city filled with idols. The Greek culture brought with it a number of gods. They were polytheistic, meaning they worshipped many gods, and therefore any life situation had an idol tagged to it, whether it was their work, whether it was their romance, whether it was sport, whether it was family life. All of these situations had a specific God dedicated to it. So in this passage, there are believers who are in the church at Corinth who had come from such religious backgrounds, who had come from worshiping idols and therefore wanted nothing to do with idols. 
Now I have three things that happened when meat was offered to idols, and I have it on the screen. Firstly, when meat was offered to idols, it was burned on the altar, and that went up to that God. Secondly, the priest took. He would go back and he could eat if he needed the meat that was offered. If he had more than, more than he needed, they normally did, he would go and sell it to the nearest butcher, which was ne- ne- normally close to the temple. Another side note for, th- for those of us who like a great deal or a great special, if, if you used your checkers card back then, you'd probably be buying meat that was offered to an idol at a cheap price or at buy one, get three free. Three, worshippers took home excess foods. So if you visited a friend or if you visited a family member, they could offer you food offered to an idol. So there were three parts. One was burned. The second part you could buy in the marketplace. And the third part you could eat if you went to a friend's house. Now imagine, it is so easily accessible. There is a new gentle believer who is in the church and they have this knowledge. But they have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe that he is the one true God. They believe that there is no other God but the Lord Jesus Christ. They know that he is a jealous God. So they don't want to sin against God by going again to eat meat that was offered to an idol. So then, what do you do is the question. When you listen to this, does this sound familiar to you? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you felt that if you were partaking in this meal, you'll be, but be partaking in idol worship? Let me fast forward you to South Africa 2022. You see, it's easy for us to read a passage like this and, and think, hey, this doesn't apply to us because we live in the city and in our city there are no golden statues around us unless you're visiting a Buddhist temple. But the question I want to bring tonight by way of application is, what do you do with what is called inyama yomsebenzi? What do you do with inyama... <laughs> she, she helped me pronounce it, but it's now, it's now kicking me. <laughs> Inyama ekulunyelwe. Here, guys, I promise I am Zulu. I'm closer. What do you do with inyama ekulunyelwe, which is basically meat that was used for ancestral rituals? Or what do you do with halal foods? You go to Spur and you buy a king's tea and there's this whole badge that's in halal. What do you do? Here's a scenario. You are invited by a friend or a colleague or a family member to an event, and in that event there is a slaughtering of a goat. What do you do? Well, at weddings, at funerals, and at ceremonies, cows and sheep and goats are slaughtered either to thank or to plead from the ancestors. And the question tonight is, do you partake of that meat that was offered to an idol that is deceased? That's what this question looks like in 2022. And if you know that specifically that halal meat was prayed for to Allah and blessed in the name of Allah, do you partake of it? See, the church at Corinth worshipped all kinds of gods. They had a consciousness of all kinds of evil spirits that were floating around. They believed that evil was everywhere and evil was in everything. So they believed that one of the ways that a demon would best enter you was through the food that you ate. Likewise today... 
We live in a society where the reality of evil spirits is common among us. So the people know that that they may not freely just receive food that is offered to them or accept any gift from people because there's a genuine fear that they could be bewitched. It happens in our country today. So the question tonight is, should we as believers live under the fear of being possessed or bewitched through the food offered to idols? Are we participating in idol worship when we partake of these meats? What do we do? That's the issue. But now if we know what the issue is, then we have to try to address it. But firstly, I want to say there are destructive ways of addressing the issue. There are destructive ways of addressing the issue. See verse 1b. It says, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Did you catch that? The, the pride-filled believers who were at Corinth were, were saying that they know. They, they, they was, there were those who, who, who were fighting for their rights, and they were saying to the church at Corinth, we all know, but Paul is responding in this passage, well, this knowing gives you a big head and nothing else. And if you think you know, well, you don't know. Instead, Paul says, if you love God, you are known by God. The point tonight is the most destructive ways of addressing issues like these is knowledge without love. The most destructive ways of dealing with these issues when they come into the local church is having big heads and no love. Spurgeon suggests that this knowledge is very nearly allied to pride. It puffs up the mind with vain conceit. It makes those who have it bold and rash and renders them careless of the consciences of others. And this knowledge boasted of by the Corinthians led them to despise, to scorn, and to disdain others. Knowledge without love is dangerous pharisaic behavior whilst love without knowledge is mere sentimentalism so both both are destructive in their own ways the apostle paul i believe throughout scripture says we need both we need to grow in knowledge but that knowledge must be driven it must be carried out in love i enjoyed uh, words by elister Begg, who said ignorance does not know that it does not know. True knowledge does not know and knows it. The smartest people know that they don't know everything, but the fool thinks that they know everything. Knowledge is moving from the unconscious state of ignorance to the conscious state of ignorance. When I read this, I immediately thought, have you ever been in an argument with someone and whilst you're arguing, they just say, yeah, 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 we all know that. I know, I know. 
The Corinthians were saying that. They were saying, we all have this knowledge. What is this knowledge that they all had? It was the knowledge that an idol has no real existence and and that there is no God but one. So then what's the problem? That's good knowledge to have, right? What's your holdup, church? Is this, this is clearly a black and white issue. There are no idols. There is one God. You can freely eat of food offered to those who worship something that does not exist. Surely we are free in Christ. For it is not what goes in a man that defiles him, but what goes from within. Right? The other side is that some have taken this passage to mean that doctrine is destructive. Some have gone as far as saying that you don't need to grow in knowledge, just grow in love. Well, that's not what Paul is saying here. The problem is not knowledge itself, but knowledge that does not show love, which is no real knowledge at all. In fact, Paul has often prayed that we would grow in the knowledge of the will of God. He calls Timothy to hold tightly to sound doctrine. He warned the Romans of having zeal, but no knowledge. So two things, church, that I want us to get from this section of the passage. And the first one is that doctrine is good. (laughs) It's good, so grow in it. You see, in this passage, Paul gives us three doctrines that we must know when it comes to idols. And the first thing that he gives us is, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. You've probably heard the phrase, everyone knows about God, but not many know God. You've probably heard this very same illustration. Everyone knows about Nelson Mandela, but not everyone knows Nelson Mandela. Or everyone knows Nelson Mandela, but Nelson Mandela doesn't know everyone. You see, God only knows intimately those who are his, those to whom he calls his children, and those who are his children who call him their God. These are those who are able to keep the commandments by faith in Christ. And this love that Paul is speaking about in this passage is that love that Christ called us to have in, when he summarized the, two, the, the commandments. When he said, love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and the other is like it, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So when he says, if anyone loves God, that's the love he's talking about. There were those in Corinth who claimed to know God but they were not known by God. The statement is also true that there may be those at Central who claim to know God, but they are not known by God. They have no fruit of a love for God that is made manifest in the love for their neighbor. See, as Paul warned about zeal in Romans without knowledge, you must be careful that your passion for certain causes or your passion for certain convictions must never be shared in a manner that breaks the greatest command that is to love your God and to love your neighbor. How can you test that? Well, Paul would give us this diagnostic question. Are you being puffed up or are you building up? The second one is, A second doctrine that's important is an idol has no real existence. 
In verse 4, he says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. It doesn't get as blunt as the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 10. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 4, listen to what he says about idols. He says, they, the people who worship idols, they decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it, the idol, cannot move. (laughs) Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. Verse 6 of Jeremiah chapter 10. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. You see, the devil's greatest weapon over the years has always been deception. He has kept many in bondage to the fear and worship of idols. He has kept them ignorant to the truth that idols are dead images made in the image of man. They are dead gods made in the image of man. He, the devil, has kept us praying and worshiping the dead, leaving us empty and damned for an eternity. You may ask, if idols are nothing, if idols are dead, then how is it that witchcraft is real? How is it that at times Sangomas get it right? Verse 6 of Ephesians, verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are in a spiritual warfare. Do not be deceived. The devil has many tricks. So therefore, as Paul says, there may be many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords yet For us, there is one God. So an idol has no power, but an idol has purpose. Its end is your destruction. Its end is your bondage to sin and enmity with God. Its end is a hatred of Christ and a love for the world and its pleasures. Why? Because the prince of the power of this age, he's the one who wants you to continue living in the passions of your flesh. He wants you to carry out the desires of the body and the mind and to keep you by nature a child of wrath. And one of the ways that he does it is by these idols because he is the God of the idol. But, which is the third thing, there is no God but one. As Jeremiah said, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Paul echoes these words in our passage in verse 6. He says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, for whom we exist, and the one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. George Whitfield said, I am nothing I have nothing and I can do nothing without God. 
in Paul's address to the Areopagus. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each, each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our beings. Even some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So then, what's the caution? How can these encouraging truths that an idol is dead and that our God lives, how can these encouraging doctrines be used for evil? My second sub point, well, you need to discern between being edified and growing as a bubble. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You see, both puffing up and building up have the image of growing. But puffing up results to bubble-like consequences. Bubbles attract interest. They grow and grow and float around for all of us to see, but they have a common end. The end is they will eventually Like the bubble, all who possess knowledge with no love will inevitably pop. They will self-destruct, causing a mess around them. Unlike those who are being built up. You see, building up has intentional work being put in. Those who love are not those without knowledge, but are those with the knowledge of who God is, with the knowledge of who they are. And therefore, from this knowledge, they look to love people to the solid rock of our salvation. Those who build will also attract interest, but the attention is drawn to the master builder who is the Lord Jesus Christ and not themselves. So then, how can we address this issue? Number three, edifying ways of addressing the issue. Edifying ways of addressing the issue. Verse seven, however, Not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So what Paul is saying is it isn't as simple on these issues as whether it is right or wrong. It does boil down to who does it affect. You see, not everyone is at the same space, same place spiritually. Some are still babes in Christ and others are maturing. Some are still choking on the stake of the scriptures whilst others are enjoying milk. Others are happily feasting on on the stake and others are still growing from milk. 
The point of this passage is how can we help each other mature in Christ as a body? How can I help you get to the next point in your sanctification? For verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we did not eat and we are not better off if we ate. In another passage, Paul says that all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. So you don't spend your energy fighting for that which is fleeting at the expense of that which is eternal. Remember, you are on a mission, O pilgrim. Your citizenship is in heaven. Forget the steak. Forget the alcohol. Forget the makeup or the bikinis. You are here to be salt and light. How are you doing at fulfilling that God-given mandate? Steak or no steak? Verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You see, Paul's not... Paul says not everyone knows of the freedom that they have in Christ. They are fresh from ancestral worship, and so they struggle to eat meat that was offered to idols at these events. Not only that, they struggle when they see believers partaking casually in these meals with the knowledge that this meat, this goat, or this cow was offered to appease the ancestors. So Paul here is asking a hard question in verse 10. It says, For anyone, if anyone sees you who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? So practically speaking, Paul says, If my weaker brother at the msebenzi, or at the event, will struggle due to me eating the goat meat on offer, I'd rather pass. If it will hinder my witness, I'd rather pass. If it will not aid in kingdom ministry, but take away from it, then it is not worth partaking in, even though it is lawful. For if my participation will wound my brother, then Paul says, I have sinned against Christ. Friends, Paul says, The consequences are great. Therefore, we need to take drastic measures. In verse 11, he says, And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother, wounding their conscience. When it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, these are the drastic measures. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. What are you willing to give up for the sake of your brother's soul? That's really what's at stake here. Are you willing to pass on that steak? Are you willing to pass on that glass of alcohol? Or fill in the blank for the sake of your brother? Or do your rights matter more? Do your freedoms in Christ matter to you more? Are you content in being puffed up in knowledge? Or do you want to build one another up in love? So to close, here are some practical implications. Be careful 
that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to your brother. Guard against the two pitholes or the two potholes that individuals or churches have fallen into for years. The two potholes are one, legalism. Be careful that when you read this passage that you do not fall into the pothole of legalism. This is an approach to Christian living that turns everything into rules. It develops a list of do's and don'ts. Church, people have been excommunicated. People have been ostracized for their unwillingness to comply to regulations and not the spirit. And so many people consider themselves mature in Christ based on the boxes they have ticked off the list. Legalism, as Paul writes to the Galatians, is a curse. It diminishes the work of the spirit and encourages for the work of the flesh. It calls for a dependence on self and for the glory of men at the expense of the dependence on the spirit and the glory of God. So God against the pothole of legalism. The second pothole, you probably already know it, is license. This is the extreme opposite of legalism. License calls for freedom, and this freedom is an absolute, and this freedom is unqualified. Here, you will find many who have crossed biblical lines. Why? Because, hey, (coughs) excuse me, we are free in Christ. Because we've been forgiven for our past, present, and future sins, they believe that, hey, I can do absolutely whatsoever I want, with whomsoever I want, whenever I want. So church, the question tonight is, are your rights, are your freedoms worth fighting for? Paul's answer would be verse 9. The answer is, take care. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. At no point does he call this right does he call this right bad or this freedom bad, but he gives us a warning and he says, Take heed, take care. So to close, I want to close with practical principles, and I know I already said we're closing. This is the closing of the closing. Practical principles for the so-called gray areas. Um, these are practical principles that I, I got from John MacArthur. The first practical principle is, ask yourself, is it excess baggage? Do I need this? The second principle is expedience. Is this something I need to be a better man for God? Is this something that I need to be a better woman of God? The third principle is emulation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, If we say we abide in him, we, o- we ought also to walk even as he walked. So the principle of emulation is this. Is this what Christ would do? The fourth one is evangelism. If I do this, is it going to enhance my testimony to an unbeliever? Colossians chapter 4 verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are outside. In other words, whatever I do, it should be done wisely toward the people who do not know Christ, that they might better see Christ in me, that there might be a better base of testimony for me. If I do this, will it create a better evangelic platform for me? Will I be a better light for Christ? 
The fifth one is edification. Will it build me up? Having done this, will I be stronger in Christ? First Corinthians ten twenty three. All things are lawful, yes, but all things edify not. Not everything builds me up. It might be lawful to do it, but it won't build me up. And the last one is exaltation. First Corinthians ten verse thirty one. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. That's a great principle. Will it exalt God if I do this? To close the words of the Apostle Paul. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest my brother stumble. Let's pray. My God, you have helped me to see that whatever good be in honor and rejoicing, how good is he who gives them and can withdraw them. That blessedness does not lie so much in receiving good from and in you, but in holding forth your glory and virtue. That's an amazing thing. To see deity in a creature speaking, acting, filling, shining through it, that nothing is good but you. That I am near good when I'm near you. That to be like you is a glorious thing. This is my magnet. This is my attraction. You are all my good in times of peace. My only support in days of trouble. My only sufficiency when life shall end. Help us to see how good your will is in all, even when it crosses ours. Teach us to be pleased with it. Grant us to feel, your, to feel you in fire and food and every providence and to see that your many gifts and creatures abut your hands and fingers taking hold of us. Your bottomless fountain of all good, I, we give ourselves to you out of love. For all we have or own is yours. Our goods, our family, our church, ourselves, to do with as you will, to honor you by our lives and by all we have. If it will be consistent with your eternal counsels, the purpose of your grace, and the great ends of your glory, then bestow upon us the blessing of your comforts. If not, let us resign ourselves to your wiser determinations. And so we pray, your will be done, your kingdom come. For there is no God like our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.